Welcome to the 321st episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today we are recording on January 29th, 2023. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me is the man who is not Carlos Rodella. It's also me. That's right. We are doing a solo show, or I guess I'm doing a solo show today. Uh, we had a little bit of a real-life snafu, and Carlos was busy this week, and I was also busy, and we just had a really tough time making our schedules work because life, right? So in lieu of skipping the week, which we never, ever want to do, uh, I decided to go ahead and get this mini-sode recorded, and I'm going to do this solo show. Carlos will be back next week once we have our schedules realigned, and I think we'll be all set to get back to proceeding with our regular two-man show. But uh, in lieu of that, it is just me today. I'm going to be channeling my inner John Rogers from uh, Gaming in the Wild. He does a one-man show almost every week, and I really admire that. Uh, I do not have his dulcet tones, but I will do my best to captain my own ship here today. Okay, let's get to it, folks. Um, I Should we do housekeeping? Should I do housekeeping? I guess so. Let's do housekeeping. Usually, Carlos and I go back and forth and we talk about whatever's going on in the game world, uh, news, bits, stuff like that. You all know the drill. Uh, but since it's just me and I don't have any housekeeping this week, I will instead break with tradition and I'll just do a little bit of non-gaming stuff just to warm up the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and I apologize for not getting to this sooner, I posted a picture of some of my chickens. Uh, if you listen to the show regularly, you might know that I have a flock of chickens in my backyard. I don't live like on a farm, but we do have a pretty good backyard and we do have chickens and chickens are low maintenance and I love my chickens. Chickens are great. And somebody was asking what the chickens names were. So I'm going to run through the names really quickly. And I was also thinking of maybe doing like a like a daily egg count. I don't know if that's fun for anybody but me. It's really fun for me. Uh, so I guess I might just do it if I want to. But uh, maybe every time we record the show, perhaps if anybody cares, maybe I'll give like a quick tally of, hey, today we had two eggs. Today we had four eggs. I don't know. A little fun thing maybe. Uh, today so far, uh, we had two eggs and we have 12 chickens. So that is not great. But in case you don't know about chickens, their bodies kind of shut down over the wintertime. Their bodies require a lot of sunlight. I believe it's 16 hours of sunlight in order for their little chicken brains to flip the switch to say that it's time to lay an egg. And so in the wintertime, they just stop. Uh, we have eggs year-round because if you go to an egg factory, they turn on lights all the time and they keep the chickens' bodies running. And, I, you know, we don't really do that. We like to give them a break during the wintertime. I mean, maybe we'll change that in the future, but... We're kind of treating eggs as kind of a seasonal thing where they just they're available during the spring and summer and they're not available during winter and fall. And I guess this is how it rolls. Um, but today they're starting to warm back up and it's a nice day. So I bet we'll have some more eggs this afternoon. But right now we've got two eggs and I'm going to run down the names of the chickens real quick to answer that question. And I apologize for not answering it sooner. We bought chickens in three batches uh, and there's a reason for that. They are very gang-like and territorial, and they can beat up on each other. So you want to buy them in groups. You don't want to buy just one or two because those loners will get picked on pretty heavily. So the first group we had, turmeric, vindaloo, paprika, cumin, cinnamon, and cardamom. Those were our OGs. Those are the very first chickens we got. Good group. We had two other chickens with that group, but unfortunately they died, and they both died of broken necks. And no, it wasn't like me in a drunken stupor. Uh, chicken necks are really fragile, and it doesn't take much to break them. Uh, one of them got their head stuck in a fence and snapped their own neck, which was a bummer. And the other one uh, was on the ground and a chicken, a different chicken leapt on top of it from up above. 
And when it landed, it snapped the one on the bottom's neck. So sad, real sad. And if I was a chicken, I'd be investing pretty heavily in like in a neck brace or some kind of helmet protection. Uh, it's really kind of weird how fragile their necks are. Next group, Mochi, Sesame, Nectarine, and Sriracha. And I will say that Nectarine and Sriracha are real assholes. They are real assholes, especially Nectarine right now. Uh, probably the meanest, most orneriest chicken we have in the yard. I don't know why that is. And if you think chickens are all the same, they are not the same. They all have distinct personalities. Some are warm, some are cold, some are nice, some are angry. Uh, just like, you know, just like a dog or a cat, they've all got their personalities, just like people. Um, and if you spend some time with chickens, you will get to see that they are not just uh, drumsticks walking around. I mean, they definitely are little, little feathered people. The last group is the smallest group. And this is probably my favorite group. We have Blue Cheese and Worcestershire. And those two are ones that I handpicked. I wasn't planning on getting any more chickens because I thought we had enough. But we went and we saw this little chick and it was a Brahma chick. And for those that don't know about chickens, it is a really big. It grows up to be really, really large and really fluffy. It's got these giant furry feet. And I always wanted one and they had one finally. And I'm like, well, it's hard to say no. And you can't just buy one. You got to get at least two. So I got the other one. And Blue Cheese is really cute too. So anyway, those are our chickens. Uh, so there you go. Hopefully I answered that question. I apologize. I don't have in front of me the person who asked that. I'm so sorry. Uh, but there is your chicken rundown. We currently have 12. No real plans to get more. I think 12 is plenty right now for the moment. And egg count today so far is two. All right. Moving on, um, a while back we got an email, and I'm 99.9% .9 sure this was from Greg Killmaster. The Killmaster. Um, and he had asked us about roguelikes, and we were thinking of doing a whole show, but we just found it really tough to get a whole show about roguelikes because we have such a busy weekly schedule. We have so many games and so many people that want us to feature their games on the show that, you know, we usually cover between six or eight new games a week. And to do an entire episode would mean that all of the other games get bumped back a week. And then if we're bumped back a week, then everything else gets backed up. And it's just really tough. So instead of doing a whole episode, we were going to do a segment. And I was going to wait till later, but Carlos is not here and I need to fill for time. So I think I'm going to do this segment right now. Greg Killmaster, this is your segment. We're going to be talking about roguelikes. He brought this up because he was originally talking about Risk of Rain 2, which I believe he said was either his first roguelike or maybe the roguelike that got him to think about roguelikes or maybe both. Um, and I am, as everyone knows, if you listen to the show, a huge fan of roguelikes. I love roguelikes. Um, I don't necessarily love the, the most difficult ones, like I'm not in this to get my nuts crushed. But I do like the idea of new content on each runs, finding interesting combinations of items. And I love just like the, the variety and the moment-to-moment -moment tactics, right? Like you have to think on your feet with what you have and you can't really settle into too much of a meta because, you know, you rely on a couple items. Maybe you don't get an item on a run, then you cannot do that meta. So you've got to, like, be flexible, go with the flow, be strategic. And that's really what I like most about roguelikes um, is just the kind of you never know what's going to happen and you got to just roll with the punches. So let me go through a pretty good list of roguelikes. And Greg and anybody else listening, everybody else listening, um, I think these roguelikes are really... Um, top of the pops. I think they're just so good. These are like really, really good ones. Um, I strongly recommend any of these. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to be a roguelike expert or anything to approach these. Although, you know, a little, little experience helps, but it, you know, you don't need to, you can just jump in and see what you think of these. Um, in no particular order, I just was like scanning down my list of roguelikes real quick. So this is not like a top 10 or anything like that. It's just, you know, the ones that I saw on this list that I wanted to recommend. So first off, Rogue Lords. 
uh, played this, I think, last year on the Xbox. Uh, it is a 2D uh, deck-building roguelike, turn-based, where you take a team of monsters and you try to revive Satan, which is, I mean, sounds like a good time. Sounds real fun. Uh, like that one quite a bit. If it's you have to like like uh, deck builders though. If you don't like deck builders, maybe this one's not for you. But I thought the art was great. I thought the progression was great. Um, very similar to Slay the Spire, which is another one that I also recommend. That's also a deck builder. Uh, this one has varying paths. You build a deck. You've got I think at the time last time I played this, there was four different characters. Each one played really differently. Um, and I think that the way that the cards interact is really near the top of the genre because there's so many different cards, so many different ways of like getting some kind of synergy going, so many little tricks that you can do. So I think that is really a great one. And I think it's become one of the seminal, uh, entries in the genre where I think anybody who has played roguelikes has at least checked out Slay the Spire. It may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I do feel like, uh, it is a great one. Um, Beyond that, I want to say Darkest Dungeon. It's not necessarily the strictest roguelike because there is progression. And I think probably everybody listening to the show has probably heard of Darkest Dungeon. Uh, huge, huge indie hit. Huge game. Uh, just a real smash. Wonderful art. Wonderful voiceovers. Um, and the game is really interesting because it is turn-based. It's also positional, meaning where you have your characters placed, you know, takes a takes a lot of uh, effort and thought because the order that the characters are standing in really um, impacts how they play, what powers they have available. It's pretty cool. Um, and I think also the roguelike aspect is that the dungeons are randomly generated. So although you have a town hub that you go back to and you can slowly build up characters over time, assemble your best team, assemble your best characters, that part is not roguelike, but the roguelike is going into the dungeon and seeing what happens. Um, it's just new every single time. So it's kind of a 50-50 where you got your team and you know what your team can do, but you never are exactly sure what's going to come up in the dungeon. And I also really like that there's an overall goal of like trying to get to the darkest dungeon and get to the bottom of it. So it is roguelike, but there's also structure and a story, which I think is really cool. Um, let's see. After that, I think another one that I would really recommend is Sheeran the Wanderer, The Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate. That's a really long title, but this is a really good one. Um, I think that Sheeran is special. It's one of the earliest roguelikes I played. I don't know how early it ranks in terms of like the genre being created. I know the original roguelike was called Rogue. So, I mean, that's that's the first one, apparently. Um, but this was a pretty early on one, and I think I played it many years ago. Sheeran has gone through many different iterations, and this is the most recent, but it's a remake of an older one. But I say this one is really great. It's a, it's a good, excellent, old-school, dungeon-crawling roguelike where it follows some of the core tenets of the uh, of the genre at first, where it's not a, it's not it's not too modern, where they have a lot of concessions. It's really brutal. Um, it can be really difficult. But the thing that I like about it is that the rules are consistent, and that's something that's really important in the roguelike genre, especially when you have items that can work together in different ways. Where if you come up with some kind of like exploit or something. Um, it has to apply to everybody equally. Otherwise, for me, that roguelike is no good. And Sharon is a good case of that, where, for example, uh, you can pick up a scroll that turns any enemy into a, a small, like a, I don't know, it's like a goblin or something. You can kill it in like one hit, right? And so you're going to find these scrolls as you go through the dungeon, whatever, whatever. You can use them on larger monsters, 
uh, or to escape or whatever. But at one time I was playing Shirin and I had one of these scrolls and I was getting close to the end of the game and I was really excited. I could feel a sweat building up and it was a big achievement for me to beat this game, which I did. Um, and I got to the last boss and I used that scroll. And in any ordinary JRPG or any RPG, you would have thrown that scroll and it would have said not effective and they would have forced you to fight this like giant battle, right? But in Shirin, I threw the scroll, it hit this the final boss, last boss of the game, it turned him into like a one-hit goblin, and I one-hitted him, and I won. And that was it. That was the true ending, right? And so that, to me, was like the ultimate, I don't know, like pat on the back to me, because I was clever enough to save that scroll, but it was also um, the ultimate test of trust from the developers, because I knew that if I knew what the rules were and I followed them, that that would serve me well, and it did. And I'm really glad they didn't take the cheap route and say, oh, you know, well, this is the last boss. You can't get out of it that easily. Um, it was the ultimate reward for playing the game well. And I, I really like that a lot of Sheeran. It hasn't always done that. There's a couple ones in the middle of the series where they kind of got away from that. And I, I really dislike that. But they came back to the original formula. And I think that Sheeran, uh, Tower of Fate, no, no, Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate is, it has enough modern concessions, but it also has enough of the OG flavor that you're going to get like a true roguelike experience, uh, but really one that's done well, classic one. Uh, along the same lines, Crown Trick was a more recent one. Uh, this is like a turn-based, tile-based, top-down, another very classic one where the rules apply to everyone. You pick up items, um, you have a little concessions to kind of like give you some progression, uh, but it's just really done really well. The weapons are interesting, the combat's interesting, the enemies are interesting. It's very, very classic. Uh, in the old school style, but I think it's done well. That one's a good one to look into. Leap of Fate on PlayStation, I believe. This is more of an action real time, but I thought it was just a great one. You have a number of different characters. Each one has different abilities and you pick up different powers as you go. But instead of being turn-based and, and tile-based, it's just a run and gun sort of a thing where you're fighting enemies. It almost feels like a bullet hell shoot them up a little bit or just like a really kind of a boss rush sort of a thing. Um, really great game. Really great action-based uh, roguelike. You're going to need some Twitch skills to get through that one. And I don't think that I finished it all the way. I think I had a couple more characters to unlock. But man, I love Leap of Fate. Really excellent one that got really overlooked back in the day. Uh, that one deserved more attention. Uh, moving on, Dungeon of the Endless. Uh, this town has a sequel coming out soon. Uh, which moves it to 3D, but the original Dungeon of the Endless was on PCs, on Switch, it's on everything, I think. Another top-down, turn-based one. But this one is interesting because you have a team of people, but your every goal in, in each floor is to pick up a gem and then make it back to your base. And so you have to think ahead of time, like, okay, so where is the gem? You find the gem, and then it's like, well, how far back to my base? What kind of defenses do I need to set up? There's a bit of tower defense thrown in there. What powers do my characters need to have in order to let me get back because it's pretty quiet in general in these dungeons you'll do some combat and stuff but like once you pick up that gem all hell breaks loose everybody starts making a beeline for you and then it's like this mad dash back to your base and you have to have the defenses set up you have to have the right characters and you have to like run like fuck and get back it's really cool i really like it a lot the only downside to this is uh i love this one a lot this was going to be one of my favorite ones except on the switch there was a bug where every once in a while randomly it would just end your run and i oh man i got so close so many times to finishing the game but then my my run would just be wiped like through no fault of my own it would just be gone and so i did that maybe three or four times and then i just had to quit because it was driving me crazy there was no rhyme or reason to it um, which is a shame because i think the game is really brilliant and i'm really looking forward to the sequel i'm sure 
I hope they will not have that same bug in the future. Uh, but so don't play it on the Switch. That is the wrong place to play it because as far as I know, that bug is not fixed, which fucking sucks because I would come back to the game in a heartbeat. But play it on PC, play it, I don't know, play it anywhere else, I guess. Um, it's a great game. Just don't play it on Switch because of that bug. Also, let's see, Death Row to Canada, which is another great one. This is a more real-time one where you play a couple of people who are trying to drive from, I believe it's Florida, starting in Florida, trying to drive north to Canada because Canada is safe during the zombie apocalypse, or at least you think so. You hop in a car, you have to manage your food, you have to manage your gas, you'll pick up survivors along the way, and the survivors are a hoot. It could be it could be anything. It could be like another person. It could be a dog. It could be uh, Jason from Friday the 13th. It could be uh, an alien. I mean, it could be anything, right? And they all these different powers. So part of the fun is just mixing and matching your team inside the car. Um, you have to get out and search for food in real time, but then you go back and have to manage your resources, manage medicine and food and uh, weapons and stuff like that. Death Road to Canada is fantastic. I, it's really, it's difficult at times, but I think it's really worth it. A lot of fun. Curious Expedition 2, which I covered on the show recently, which is kind of like an old school... Uh, I don't even know the period of time where the English were kind of like exploring the globe and sending out these exploring teams and they had the exploration societies back where they all drank tea and tut-tutted and talked about their exploits and stuff. Uh, this is a better one because they have kind of taken some of the colonialism out of it a little bit, which I think is more palatable. But the mechanics are pretty fun. You get into like this dark continent and you search around. You have to manage your sanity, manage your food and resources, try to explore and find some loot, get back to your ship. Uh, it's really well done. The graphics are awesome. It's got a great style to it. So that one's a fun one. Uh, Into the Breach, which I think is a perfect game, literally a perfect game. It's on the Switch, which is a great place to play it. You play a team of robots and there's a whole bunch of different robots. You put a team together and you try to defeat bugs who are trying to destroy the earth. And if you, it's turn-based uh, tactics, uh, teams of three, you have three robots at all times. And the thing that's great about this is it's one of those games that gives you all the information ahead of time and it's totally up to you to decide what to do. There's no surprises. There's no gotcha, which is great. It's just about pure strategy. Can you read the battlefield? Can you figure out what to do? What's the best thing for you to do with the team that you have? Uh, what are your options? And then kind of go from there. It's also about managing damage because sometimes you just have to take some hits or some people have to die like civilians. But how do you mitigate that, right? Like what do you what do you do to make it the least destructive thing possible great game brilliant game uh, one of my favorites of all time perfect game i recommend into the breach as probably one of the pinnacles of the roguelike genre for sure last couple ones iris and the giant uh, I, I don't think i've ever met anybody who played this except for maybe mike susky over at game critics um i don't know anybody who's played this in real life but man this is a fantastic roguelike uh it is card based but it's very simple ui is great is very easy to understand very straightforward but that doesn't mean it's not challenging um i did beat it which was uh which was great and i really enjoyed doing that but it's also um notable because it has um, a fair amount of story like and roguelikes don't often have a lot of story but this one is about a little girl who's feeling very insecure and alone and so a lot of those fears manifest in the gameplay uh through the theming and through the enemies and stuff like that so iris and giant is wonderful i think that is also almost i mean i think it's basically a perfect game I believe I gave it a perfect score when I uh, reviewed it at Game Critics. I don't give those out very often. I think I give out a perfect score, meaning a 10 out of 10. I think my average is one 10 out of 10 every four years or so. So I don't drop them like candy. Uh, so check that one out for sure. Last one I'm going to recommend. Nowhere Profit is a wonderful roguelike where it's kind of like a future post-apocalyptic kind of a quasi-sci-fi story. There's a lot more story in this one than usual. You have characters, but your characters are also your cards because this is a deck builder. Uh, so it's interesting blend of elements there. 
as you go, there's lots of story uh, scenes that you can barter with people, trade with people, fight with people, negotiate things. And you ultimately have a story of you're trying to get to this one end of the desert where there's supposed to be this wonderful thing. Uh, and this one is great. I think it's got good balance. Uh, I think it's got good systems. It's a little bit unconventional, but like if you can get into it, I think it's wonderful stuff. The, the mix of being out there and being able to talk to people, but your people are also your cards. So you got to like manage your deck. And then also you're in a world where there are other people and you have this giant quest while it's also a roguelike. It was just really, really well done. Really great stuff. Um, I think that one's great. So all together, that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve roguelikes. Those are all top of the pops. Those are all each one of those is the shit in its own way. I have beaten most of those. I stand by all of those. And Greg, if you want some more roguelikes. Number one, I apologize for taking so long to get around to this. That's my bad. Uh, and you are a super fan. I don't want to disappoint you. Uh, but check out any of those. Those are all great. And anybody else listening, check those out as well. If you want to get into roguelikes, those are all wonderful places to start. Um, one more thing quickly before I move on to the actual content of the show. Uh, similarly to Greg's request, we did get a request from Andreas Tang a while ago. Uh, and I, it took forever to get back to this. And just like the other thing, I, we meant to do a whole show about it. And we figured we weren't going to be able to fit it in because of uh, schedule and time. And I was going to wait for Carlos to come back. But then I know that Carlos doesn't do a lot of bedtime gaming. So I think he wouldn't mind if I just kind of covered this now. And to be honest, I don't have like a lot to say. Basically, Andreas wanted to know what were my favorite bedtime games. Uh, he was asking about relaxing, slow-paced games that will help put you to sleep. Um, and I got to be honest, uh, Andreas, I, I kind of rotate through stuff. Um, I don't have a lot of favorites that I come back to time and time again. If I had to pick one all-time world champion bedtime game, there's no doubt it is Picross. Uh, I am on Picross, I think, four. And I want to say there's eight or ten of them. I'm going to buy them all. I think there are other Picross clones. I think Sega put out one that had, like, Sega mascots. I think there's a couple that have some story bits to them. So it's kind of like a visual novel slash Picross. Uh, and there's others that are just done by other people that have slightly RPG elements to them. I love Picross in all its forms. I think, uh, I think it's great. And I think it is the perfect bedtime game because most times you can do one or two puzzles. And by the time you get to that second one, you're probably going to be ready for bed. I'm not, I'm not saying the game is boring, but it's just so chill and straightforward. And you're just kind of just in your element doing your thing and, you know, it's, it's a really good wind down. It's a really good wind down. I really like that a lot. So I think that is my absolute favorite. Um, if I had to pick anything else, um, you know, I'm usually just rotating through stuff I'm playing for so video games. But I will say, I guess it kind of depends. If I want to go to sleep, uh, then I will pick anything that has text or deduction. I'll pick a point and click. I'll pick a visual novel. I'll pick something that's pretty slow paced. Um, you know, a lot of talking to it. Because when I'm in bed and it's dark and the wife is quietly sleeping beside me, reading some text will just knock me out. Uh, I'm not one of those people who can like read a book for hours and hours in bed. But if I'm in the mood to stay up for a little bit, like if I'm like if I'm in bed early and I want to play a little bit longer, like I'm not quite ready to, to pass out, then I'll pick something that's action based. Usually a roguelike. I do a lot of my roguelikes on the Switch and those can definitely keep me awake if I'm engaged with them. So I guess it depends. If I want to stay awake, I'll pick a roguelike or something arcadey and actiony, but something short, nothing, nothing like RPG length, nothing involved. Like it's got to be a quick run, uh, you know, something I can play for 15 minutes and put it down and be okay with that. But if I do want to go to bed, visual novel, adventure game, text adventure, 
or Picross. And I love Picross. So, all right, Andreas, I'm sorry it took us 9 million years to get around to that. Hopefully that is a good answer. And also apologies to Greg for taking so long. Hopefully you're both happy with what we have provided you here. And if anybody else has any more questions, uh, I have proven it takes me 9 million years to answer a question, but I will answer a question. And we do want your requests. We want your comments and feedback and all of that good stuff. Okay, I think that is it for the preamble. I am going to get to the main content of the show right now. All right, let's take a look and see what we've got on deck here. Uh, okay, cool. Um, I talked about Desperados 3 last week. Uh, I came back to it. This is the top-down, semi-real-time, semi-turn-based, really thick and crunchy tactics game with an emphasis on stealth, heavy emphasis on stealth, um, where you take five Western figures, there's a cowboy, a pretty lady, a trapper, a voodoo lady from Louisiana, and a sharpshooter. And you take these this crew of ragtag people through these various adventures, trying to get back at this guy uh, for revenge because he killed your dad, because of course he did, because it's a Western. And uh, I just, I love this game. It's from Mimi Me Studios. They also did Shadow Tactics, uh, Blade of the Shogun, Blade of the Samurai. I can't remember, but Shadow Tactics. Wonderful game. Kind of the same thing, but with ninjas and samurai. This thing, Desperados 3, Western theme. Uh, I beat the game last week. I had played it originally last year, actually two years ago. I got real far into it, but the levels are pretty long. I mean, if you take your time, a level can easily be an hour, two hours, maybe even three hours if you're really being super, super, super slow and super methodical, and also depending on what difficulty you're playing on. Uh, this is the kind of game where you die a lot, so you've got to like quick save after every time you do one thing, and so it can be really slow going, but in a good way. I mean, I think it's really great. I love, I love the style of gameplay uh, here because you, you're presented with a large map, there's a ton of enemies, and you have your team, and again, kind of like the roguelike spirit I just talked about, you got to really think about, like, what options do I have? What can my characters do? Which person would be better where? What turn should I go in? And the cherry on top of all this is that you can rig turns to happen at the same time. It's called, I think, showdown mode here, where you pause the game, you can assign orders to say, okay, you, Trapper, go over here and stab this guy. And Sharpshooter, you shoot the lookout. And then Voodoo Lady, you go over here and stab this woman over here. And Pretty Lady, you distract this guy. And then Western guy, shoot these two with your pistols over here. But everybody at the same time. Because if you didn't do it at the same time, then one person would see the other person getting killed. They would raise the alarm. Then the, the field gets flooded with bad guys. You wouldn't be able to do it. But if you can pull it off at once, all those kills at the same time, nobody witnesses anything because all the witnesses die simultaneously. And then you're free to proceed. So showdown mode is really cool. Uh, I think that's really the thing that kind of makes this one stand out apart from other games of the sort. Um, so like I said, I finished it last week. Uh, finally, after like a, like a year and a half pause, uh, I think I stopped maybe three levels before the end. I didn't realize I was so close to the end. I thought I had like more to go and I had to pause because of a review. review whoa, I can't say the word. Re I was like, Scooby-Doo just showed up in the podcast for a second. Reggie. No, review responsibilities that's hard to say excuse me um but i came back to it and i'm like oh snap i only got like three levels left okay i'm gonna finish this off had a great time love that game and then i'm like i still want to play some more i popped for the dlc there are three missions about going after this lost treasure which are pretty cool they're all new maps 
and new challenges. They are difficult as balls, but I'm really liking this game a lot, and I think it's just a lot of fun, so I'm getting into it. The thing that I didn't say last week, uh, or maybe I did. No, did I? Did I not? I don't think I did. Was that Me, Me, Me had a new game coming out, and that was what inspired me to go back to Desperados 3. Um, I never deleted it, but I kind of forgot about it. And then once I had attended a press conference for their upcoming game, I'm like, oh, snap. I remember now that I love these guys. I love their games. And I never finished Desperados. So that's what made me go back to Desperados. Um, and for even if I'm repeating myself, I don't think I am. But the game that I saw at a top secret press conference is called Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew. So it's Me, Me, Me Studios, again, going back to the thing that they do so well. And as far as I know, they're really the only people who are kind of doing these sorts of games these days. Their next one is is in the same vein as Shadow Tactics, same vein as Desperados 3. But that's great. I mean, they only put out like one game every like three years or something like that. So by the time that I finish the last one, I'm definitely more than ready for the next one. Uh, this time around, the theme is kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean. You are in a you know Caribbean setting. You have a ghost ship, which apparently is alive and it acts as your hub. And there is a series of islands around uh, the Caribbean Sea. And the thing that they've done this time, not only difference in the theme, uh, there are more characters. You'll have eight characters. They've only ever had five in the past. So you get three extra ones. But you can also mix and match. Uh, that has not always been the case. Uh, in the past, they have been prescriptive about which characters you can have when, which I, I do appreciate. I'm not saying that's a negative. I think it's fun to like have a challenge when you don't have all your resources available. But in this game, I think they are leaning a little bit more towards becoming a little bit more accessible. Uh, their past games have been pretty difficult, and I know that there's a certain percentage of the fan base that wants them to be even more difficult, which I, I think is a Dark Souls syndrome. I'm glad that they're kind of pulling back from that a little bit. I think if you listen to the people who just want things harder and harder and harder, you're going to really shrink your base and you're going to be excluding more and more people. And I don't think you need to listen to the get good crowd. I think you need to have challenge if you want, but make it optional. You know, um, I mean, I think anybody who wants to challenge in these games, I mean, put it on the hardest setting, make sure that no one ever spots you, make sure that you don't use all of the easiest powers like hypnotizing people or distracting people with the pretty lady. Uh, you know, like there's there's ways to make a game harder on yourself if you want to do that. Uh, but not everybody wants that much of a challenge, especially with a game that's already challenging. So I think that with Shadow Gambit, number one, they're going to let you choose whichever crew, mem crew members you want. So I don't know all of their abilities. That was kind of a secret. They haven't revealed that yet. But out of the eight people, ultimately, you know, whichever ones you think are great, whichever ones you like, whichever ones are the best for the map you're going to do, you can just choose those. So I think that's a great move. Uh, the other thing that I think is going to be great about this, um, and I'm going to try to interview them at some point. I don't know if we're going to do it on the show or maybe just something at Game Critics, but um, the other thing that's great is you're going to be able to self-select levels. Uh, once you get your boat and you start cruising around the Caribbean, you're going to have a series of missions and you can choose which one you want to do. Some are going to be large, some are going to be small. You can choose what challenge you want to do. And then also further, you can choose what part of the island you want to land on. So if you're like one of those tryhards and you're like, I want the hardest thing, please put my testicles in a vice and just keep squeezing until I die. If that's you, you can choose, I don't know, just like fewer people or more difficult people to use and then go to the far side of the island, which means you have like three times more ground to cover, which means you're going to have to chew through three times more enemies and there's three times more chance you're going to get caught. I mean, do that. Nothing stopping you. Please do. Uh, but if you don't want that or maybe you just want it sometimes, or maybe you don't want it at all. You can just be like, okay, well, if my objective is on the east side of the island, instead of landing on the west, I will simply 
land on the east side of the island and I'll be right there next to the objective and I'll have like way less dudes to get through and I'll have way less chance to get spotted. So I think those are all great choices so far. We haven't seen much besides one trailer of story and one trailer of gameplay, but I have absolute faith in me, me, me. Um, I've loved Shadow Tactics, beat it all the way. I thought it was great. I love uh, Desperados 3. I'm in the middle of doing like the very last bits of content right now. Just like went through everything there. I think it's wonderful. Uh, I think they really know their style of game really well. I don't think anybody else does it as well as they do. And I'm really looking forward to it. This is not a very saturated genre. And I'm, I'm very excited about the changes that they've announced. So um, I'm up for this. I'm very up for this. And honestly, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme is really cool. Seeing the pirates, the ghost pirates that they have uh, with all their different abilities is going to be very exciting. So keep an eye out for Shadow Gambit, the Cursed Crew. And also, if you want a little bit uh, a sample of what I've been talking about, check out Shadow Tactics. There's also a smaller version of Shadow Tactics that is PC only. Uh, it's like an, a spin-off of Shadow Tactics. You don't need to have the main game to play that. You can check that out on Steam. I think if you look up Shadow Tactics, you'll be able to find it there. And I think it's called Yuki's Choice, I believe. Something like that. And also Desperados 3, which is available on all the platforms. And just as a heads up, I know that some people think this is a really PC-centric genre, and I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but they have done a fantastic job of mapping controls to the consoles. I'm playing Desperados on PlayStation 5, it is beautiful on a controller. It works so well. I'm just so comfortable with it. I think it's just very intuitive, very straightforward. So this could be a game that is ruined with clunky controls, but it is not clunky at all. They they let you know what you're doing. Everything, all the prompts are there. All the menus are very clean and clear. And this is another game where they give you all the information, kind of like Into the Breach, where there's nothing secret going on. There's no gotcha. You just have to be clever and keep your wits about you and be attentive so I, I can't speak highly enough for these games. I think they're just wonderful. And I'm very, very excited for Shadow Gambit coming out. So uh, I think the ETA is this year. I don't know how far along it is, uh, but we shall see. And keep your eyes peeled. I will definitely be covering it here on Game Critics. And I can guarantee you that's going to be one of my top, top 10 games of the year. It's a lock. I mean, all it has to do is be as good as their other games. I mean, even if it's not better, which it looks already like it's better, but even if it was just as good, that's already a top 10 lock. So I'm very, very psyched. All right, so that is my little bit on Desperados 3. And that is also my bit on Shadow Gambit, The Curse Crew. Boy, sorry, folks. I'm a little bit off my game today because I'm so used to having Carlos with me. So I'm, I'm usually like every time that he says something, that's my time for my brain to refocus and kind of like focus on the next topic. And now that he's not here to provide cover for me, uh, all my flaws are out there in the open. I'm just bare-assed out here like doing this rough show. So please forgive me for that. Anyway, let's move on to my next topic. Uh, let's see. What do I have on deck here? Oh, yes. Yes. Looks like we have Season, A Letter to the Future. This is on PlayStation. The embargo just dropped a couple days ago. Uh, it is a story-based uh, I don't know, experiential narrative sort of a game. I didn't know a lot about it beforehand, um, but basically all I knew was there was a kind of a post-apocalyptic sort of a thing going on. Uh, and you have a character who is a, a, a young black girl and she's on a bike and she's like riding her bike through this landscape. And that's kind of all I knew about it. I wasn't really too, too informed, but I think that's good sometimes just to go into something cold and just see how it hits you. 
unfortunately, I will say up front, this one did not connect with me. Um, and I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure exactly what they were going for. I mean, basically what the premise is, is that it is post-apocalyptic, but not in the general sense. I mean, it's not like a wasteland. There's not radiation and mutants and stuff like that. It's it's kind of weird because it begin, begins in kind of a, a weird fantasy setting where you're almost not even sure what's going on. Like you're 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 dressed up kind of like you're a little bit hipster and you're in this it looks like a European village or something and things are fine and you're just kind of talking to your mom and that seems all normal but then she says she needs to make you like this magical amulet and so I'm like, "Oh, it's okay, there's magic, but it looked like we're just a normal place." Uh, there's a lot of clicking on things, a lot of looking at descriptions, which is not my favorite thing in the world. But you get this amulet put together uh, by selecting things in your environment, which are supposed to, quote unquote, mean something to you, which I think is a really poor way to start, honestly, because I'm just beginning the game. I don't know who my character is. I'm not even sure of what's going on in the world or what the premise is, really. And then your mom is like, oh, pick five things that are relevant to you. Well, I don't know what's relevant to me. I don't know even who I am. So how am I supposed to pick anything? I ended up just picking like five things at random because I just had no clue what was going on. And then once you get that, they're like, okay, well, you need to go out in the world and record what it's like to live right now. And I think this is kind of, it's kind of like the real point of what my problem with this game was, was like, I didn't have any connection before they want me to go out in a way as if I was a person who had connection. I don't know what's going on in this world. And so why would I think a burbling brook sound is important to me or why would I feel like a picture of a decrepit gas station is important to me because I don't, I don't have any setting. I don't have any context. Right. And so I feel like they, they just don't start this off properly. I'm not grounded in what's going on. I don't know who I am. I'm not sure why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I feel like it just, it kind of stumbles out of the gate and assumes that you're going to instantly click with this character and just just do what needs to be done because that's what you need to do. Um, and it kind of pushed me, pushed me away right from the get go where very soon after you get your amulet, the magical thing that you put together because you're not sure why you go to this uh, little uh, courtyard and it's like, Oh, we need to record sounds. And it's like, I don't have nostalgia for this world. I don't even know what this world is. And so they want me to record some sounds of this little musical instrument that's playing. And I need to take pictures of murals that are about a guy who I don't know who he is and I'm just like, why, why am I supposed to care about this? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I need more of an intro. If this is going to be such a story heavy game and it's supposed to be introspective, emotional, um, you know, to really get you to think about humans and their place in the world and what's it like to live in the post-apocalypse and what's happening. I, I, I need more context because this is not the normal world. It kind of looks like it, but it's not. It's not a fantasy world. It's kind of too much like the real world. So it's this weird middle ground where I'm just feeling very unmoored from everything. And I just don't know how to approach it or how to digest it. And the gameplay of record things, take pictures of things that are meaningful. That's not a good place to start because I don't have any meaning to go from. So that part was not great. I did, I did not think the opening was very good. I felt just, just really tough time to get into it. But I, I kept playing. And really the reason that I wanted to, to check this game out was because most of the trailers and most of the scenes are talking about this character being on a bike. And I thought the bike was kind of cool. It kind of gave me a little bit of um, Death Stranding vibes a little bit where you're kind of like in this open world and a quiet world and a pensive world. And you're kind of just like going through it. Like I love Death Stranding like a ton. It was like I, one of my favorite games in the past few years. And so that kind of had similar vibe. 
And when you first get your bike, you, you talk to enough people, you get your recordings, take your pictures, whatever. And then you like leave your sequestered European village at the top of a mountain, which is kind of weird. And you get out of it and you're kind of ride to the rest of the open world. That's a really cool moment i will say that's when i'm like the game kind of got me back in and i'm like oh okay wait maybe this is what the game is about this is pretty cool and there's not really a lot going on it's just like you get on this bike regular bike uh pedaling you have to pedal with like the l2 and r2 buttons but it's not that big a deal and you just ride like you just ride away from your village and you just this beautiful countryside like there's trees and mountains and these winding little rocky road and you're just going down and taken in the scenery and i'm like okay okay this is cool like i'm vibing real hard like this is nice i like just ex exploring and i'm just just going downhill and checking things out watching the trees pass by and just steering and this is this is really cool um so i, I got back in at that point but then before long you have to uh do some stuff where you're you're taking more pictures you're recording some things and you have to put some things in a scrapbook and it's like the pictures and the sounds you, you put in this book, but it's like, again, I don't, I, I don't have a, a reason to want to do the book. I don't understand why I'm doing the book. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just being difficult. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weirdo, but like, I just didn't feel like I knew the character enough or the world enough. And I just was like, I'm not motivated to do this. So I skipped a lot of stuff. I just wanted to get back to the bike riding. But after a while, like there's just, it, it just kind of wore off. Right. I mean, there's, there's not a lot to do. And as you keep pedaling through, you eventually get to a different zone and it's raining it's kind of cloudy and it's kind of dark and that was kind of nice but then you just start uh, having this memory of where you talk to somebody back at your village and it's like this long discussion and again i don't why am i talking to you lady like it's this old lady the elder of the village and you're interviewing her why are you the elder what's your real name how did you get here and i i kind of just don't care i just didn't care um so i i don't think that i'm gonna connect with this game um, i like the bike riding i think it's cool i just wish there was more context for it i wish there was something else to do when you're riding the bike it's pretty limited you can't do stunts or anything it's not like an open world you know cross country kind of thing it's very sedate and very you know very um i don't know respectful in a way it kind of feels like where you're just kind of just just peacefully going through the countryside you're not ripping things up gta style and that's fine that's not a complaint but um i just i just don't have any interest in the scrapbooking part of it i don't have any interest in the picture taking or sound recording part of it because i just don't care about what's happening and i don't i'm not trying to sound like you know oh i don't care whatever but it's like i just i haven't gotten into this game um i not enough of an intro to the character not enough of an intro to the world not enough of a reason to do what i'm doing so it looks really cool um, I think it's it's kind of interesting and maybe there's a lot of people out there who would really connect with this game apparently it won some awards um, at some festivals and I can I can see why but it's just not for me and I think uh, this game and I are just kind of speaking a different language which is totally fine uh, but check it out I, I think that there might be something here for people who like emotional games or introspective games or if you want a very very different approach to the post-apocalypse um, there are no zombies or mutants or anything like that. There's no guns. There's no combat. It's just you riding through this world, which seems to be, I don't know, on the verge of dying, I guess. So there you go. Check that out. Uh, if that sounds good to you, I do not think I'll be coming back to it, but you know, uh, we're just going to go our separate ways on this one. So that was season, a letter to the future. All right. Uh, let's see here. What else do I have next? Okay, great. 
Um, I talked about the excavation of Hobbs Barrow uh, a while ago. I played it on PC. This is a recent point and click, but it's also a horror game. And I really liked it on PC. Uh, it's about a lady in old, old English times. Not super old English times, but like kind of old English times. I'm terrible at history, in case anybody hasn't picked up on that yet. I can visually recognize, like in my head, I know what time period it is. But I don't know, like, years. I wouldn't be able to give you an accurate year. Um, but it's like when people are still using, like, kerosene lamps and stuff. And there is still horse-drawn carriages. But you're not... Well, whatever. It's a long time ago. It's not now. Anyway, it's about this lady who is a researcher. And she goes to Scotland. I think it's Scotland. Where she wants to uh, excavate a barrow. Which is kind of like a burial mound. And it becomes... Uh, a fish out of water thing where she's in a small town. Everybody knows that she's the outsider. Weird things are happening and it's kind of spoopy and I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, it's a great, great, interesting story. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm, I'm pretty far into it. Really liking it. Um, I stopped playing it on PC because I just don't like to play things on PC, right? The only thing I play on PC are porn games once in a while when somebody sends me a porn game code or when we do that kind of coverage here on the show, which we're not opposed to. Um, but we don't do it often. Therefore, I don't play anything on PC very often. So I, I liked it a lot on PC, but I just didn't want to play it on PC. Uh, and thankfully, it just came out on the Switch uh, a couple days ago. And PR was kind enough to send me a code. So thank you very much for that. Um, nothing new to report in terms of like the content of the game. It is the same great game. Uh, wonderful pixel art style. The cutscenes are fucking bananas. They're so awesome. I don't even know what kind of animation they're doing with these cutscenes, but they are striking. They are so... They just grab your fucking face and you just have to pay attention because they come out of nowhere and you don't expect them for a 2D adventure pixel-based point and click. Like, they kind of... They, they, they pop up almost like a jump scare, sort of. And all of a sudden, they're all kind of, like, weird and grotesque and they grab you and you're like, ah, what's, what am I looking at? What's happening? And the motion of them is so crazy like they're very striking i mean kudos big kudos to whoever came up with how how these cutscenes are happening they're they're really something else um but in terms of content same story same cutscenes, uh same progression there's no new content or anything like that but i will say that this port to the switch is fucking awesome um and the reason for that is that this is a mouse-based point and click they have done it so that you actually don't need any kind of mouse action in this game whatsoever. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, when you're in a scene, one thing that I like in modern point and clicks is the ability to highlight all the hotspots. I don't want to pixel hunt. I don't want to sweep a cursor over the screen, especially on the Switch, because the, uh, the little Joy-Cons are just not made for that, right? So you hold, I think it's the Y button, I think, and it just shows you on the screen where all the hotspots are. Okay, that's, that's great. And that's kind of my baseline for most point and clicks these days. But they go one better... Because if you jump on the D-pad and just push left or right or up or down, it'll cycle you through all of the hotspots, which means you don't have to use that fucking stick to do the mouse action at any point whatsoever. You simply move the D-pad left and right. It goes from hotspot to hotspot to hotspot. You pick the one you want, push a button, character walks over there, does the action. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. And it is also so fucking obvious. I'm wondering how come nobody figured it out earlier. And I don't mean to take away from the victory that is this control system because mega kudos, mega, mega kudos for this. But seeing how obvious and how good it is now, I'm like, wow, this is hitting me in the face with like how cool and easy this is. Why didn't anybody think of this before? 
Um, so major ups. I think this is a huge step forward for handheld and even for console-based point-and-clicks. I want to see, <laughs> no joke, I want literally every point-and-click from this point forward must use the Hobbs Barrow control system. Do this. Do not make me use the fucking cursor uh, with the stick or anything like that. Just let me jump through the hotspots because that's what you're doing. You're just going to hit the hotspot anyway, so why make me sweep my mouse all over the fucking screen? No, no, no. I want, I want you to tell me where the hotspots are, and I want you to let me toggle through them. Fucking ace. It is fucking brilliant. I love it so much. Um, so I think that is wonderful. Uh, the only complaint I have about this particular port, and it's a very small one, is that um, the dialogue comes in a couple different colors, and when it's in the white color, I find it a little bit hard to read because it's kind of a pixely font. It's not bad, and it's not too small, so great job on the UI. Great job on the text size. Um, I don't think you can adjust it, but even if you can't, it's still at a pretty good size where I feel like it's going to be comfortable for most people. Not everybody, but most people. And that's great, but the white font is just like a wee bit hard to read. Not terrible, but there's a couple times I'm like, what? And I go back and check, and then I'm fine. Uh, the other colored fonts, I think red is most often the other one is fine. Um, but again, I don't know about colorblindness or anything like that. But that was my only complaint for me personally, was the white was a little bit hard to read. Not not bad at all. Not, not unreadable. Not a big deal. But other than that, great port. I fucking love this port so much. And this game is great. It is fucking, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's spooky. It's altogether ooky. Um, and I think that anybody who wants... Uh, recent point and click or spooky text game spooky adventure game this is a great one this has gotten lots of awards lots of recognition and well deserved uh, this is definitely one to watch and one to play and man I'm just so in love with the control scheme on the Switch so great I think it's fucking amazing and kudos 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 so if you haven't played Hobbs Barrow yet this is a great way to play it if you want to play it on Switch I think it's perfect for that and the control scheme is the shit so right on uh, the Excavation of Hobbs Barrow, it's out on Switch now, and I think it is wonderful. I love, I love this port. Um, last main game of the show here, Shoulders of Giants. This just came out on Xbox. I don't think it's a Game Pass game. I think it's just a regular game. Uh, this is a roguelike, uh, third-person, real-time action where you play... I'm not sure who you play. I guess you're a team where you are a little frog who rides on top of a big robot mech suit. So basically you can think of it as like, the mech suit is like what you would consider your character's body in any other kind of action game. And then the frog is right on top, like where the head would be. So the robot does melee attacks. It jumps, it runs. Um, they start you off with, I think a sword or something like that. And you can eventually get some other melee weapons. I'm using like... Um, robot fists where you just like do punchy action for a while you run and jump and move around with the mech suit but then when you want to shoot you hold the trigger down and then it kind of go it zooms in where you're looking at the reticle and that's when the frog is shooting so like the body holds still when you zoom in to shoot and you take your shots with the frog and he's got uh you know a regular pea shooter which actually sucks it's really weak at the beginning of the game but both characters both the robot and the frog can get upgrades as they go so this is a roguelike what ends up happening is you pick a level you go into the level it'll tell you ahead of time what the rewards are you jump in and there's like two or three chunks per level you kill a bunch of randomly spawning enemies um, you get to the end where there are these little i don't know these little 
pillars or something like you blow up the pillars and then once you blow up all the pillars you go to the next level at the end of the chunks there's like a boss which you will fight bosses are surprisingly difficult um i was kind of surprised at how hard they were like you take a lot of damage and you don't dish out a lot of damage so i don't know if they want you to like grind right away i mean i i beat the first boss i think my first try but it was very close like like way too close for my comfort level and the next boss was also pretty difficult um so i'm a little bit surprised at how difficult the bosses are considering how weak you are when you begin but basically the loop is you go in you see what reward you want to get whether it's a new weapon for the frog new weapon for the robot whatever um you're supposed to be getting some materials i haven't really found any materials yet i played i think three rounds um successfully and i didn't get any materials so i'm not sure when the material comes into it but you're supposed to craft some new stuff you can craft new bodies for the robot that gives them a different basic power and as you're in each level you can pick up new abilities um you can have three abilities for the frog three abilities for the robot and that's on top of their basic shooting and punching or sorting or whatever so like for example the robot can jump really high and when he jumps up he'll drop some bombs underneath him or the frog can have homing missiles instead of his pea shooter um and he can kind of just kind of go through that so you know basically it's a third person actioner with roguelike weapon pickups and you're kind of grinding to increase your survivability with better weapons and better defense and stuff like that it's okay i think it's fine um it's cute looking i love the idea of a little frog riding a big mech suit that's really super cute uh i think generally though um they start you off really weak which is not great i feel like you're you're really kind of fighting uphill there but also the combat in terms of the melee like the robot combat it just it just doesn't feel great um it's kind of floaty it's kind of weird like it doesn't have much impact and you're doing a lot of just like just bashing running and bashing the enemies also kind of appear out of nowhere so it's not like one of those games where you're really strategic in how you approach it you're kind of just like running through and bad guys will pop in around you so you're always busy doing something um i don't know how i feel about that i mean it it kind of sucks to be in a level that's empty once you've killed all the robots or all the enemies um, that you're up against but also enemies popping in behind you and enemies popping in all around you when you thought you had a moment to breathe is also not great so i guess i'm kind of in the middle on that um but in general the combat it's not bad but it just doesn't it doesn't feel tight it doesn't feel precise in a way that feels good it feels like you're kind of just bashing you know button mashing a little bit um and the shooting is fine but again really underpowered and i haven't really found a gun that's like a lot better than what i've started with so that's kind of a bummer um, there is one other aspect to this game, which I think is really cool, but also kind of not great. It's called best friend mode, I believe, where you and a friend can meet up online and you can be buddies in the sense that one person controls the frog and one person controls the robot. Now, that sounds like a cool idea. Uh, my son and I uh, gave that a shot. He was the robot. I was the frog. And we thought that was going to be really fun. But the problem with that mode is you're going to be doing the robot most of the time because the robot is effectively your body. Like you're running, you're jumping, you're dodging. The robot does all of that stuff. The frog only shoots. So the person controlling the robot is going to be doing most of the action. Uh, you can shoot at any time with the frog. So that is a possibility. Like the robot doesn't have to hold still for you to shoot. But it's extremely difficult to hit anything when the robot is running and jumping and dodging and rolling. Like, it's you you can't hit anything. Like, it's it's too hard. I mean, there's a reason 
that marksmen in real life hold still when they shoot because it's fucking hard to hit anything when you're being jostled all around. I mean, um, hitting something in real life with a gun when you're moving is impossible um, if you, unless you get like really lucky. So in this game, when you're trying to shoot, it's really, really difficult. I was getting frustrated because I couldn't hit anything. I wasn't being of any help to my kid. He was doing most of the, the work, just running and jumping and slashing. And I'm just like firing shots blindly off into the air and hopefully I'll hit somebody, but I usually didn't. So that mode, I don't think was very successful um, just because it's so difficult to to shoot with the frog. I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I don't know if maybe it would make more sense for the frog to hover above the robot uh, or maybe you should just be separate or something. I don't I don't really know. And I, I thought I read something about the robot or I mean the, the frog being able to jump off of the robot. I think that was in the roadmap for a future update. I don't know if that's only in the single player mode. Like maybe you can leave the robot as the frog for a while and just be a tiny frog. Um, I don't know if that applies to the best friends mode. Like it might be better if you could jump off the robot and jump back on when you needed to, because I just needed to hold still. I couldn't hit shit and it was really frustrating. And, you know, like I said, my son was doing all the work. So great idea. Uh, needs a little bit more work. And I think in general, the game is just okay. Um, you hit the grind pretty soon, and I think the combat just doesn't feel that exciting. So it's, you know, it's okay. It's okay. If that seems like something that you like, you like frogs, you like mech suits, you like best friends. I don't know. Maybe there's something here for you to like. Check that out and see how that goes. Um, and I think that is going to do it for the main portion of the show. Um, we will save Carlos's games for the next episode. He had a couple, I'm going to leave those up to him. I don't know if he's going to cover the same ones, but I am, I am sure that the one he is going to cover next week is going to be Forspoken. Um, we got a code from the publisher. So thank you for that, uh, for the purpose of talking about here on the show, which we were going to do this week, but we'll do next week. Uh, and from what I can gather, I haven't been spoiled on what Carlos thinks about it, but I know he's got a lot to say. He's been sending me messages saying, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. I'm on fire. I got a lot to say. And Forspoken is really taking a beating in the press right now, mostly for the dialogue. I haven't played it myself yet. Maybe I'll dip in. We'll see. But apparently the dialogue... I mean, I've heard some people say it makes sense and it's fine. I've heard some people say it's totally cringe. I can't say for myself, although I will say that when we played the demo a couple weeks ago, it did feel kind of cringe to me. But then again, we were jumping into like an in-media res demo where we didn't get to see the opening. We didn't get to see the beginning. We didn't get the opening moments of the character. So we were kind of like thrown into the game as it was already in progress and i don't know if seeing the early days would have changed anything for me i mean it's very possible that it would have i can't say for sure so the jury is out on that um but there's definitely people on both sides of the dialogue but i will say that i thought the gameplay was pretty interesting i did want to see more of the gameplay i know that carlos really liked the gameplay as well so um we're going to jump into that one next week for sure so look forward to that um, and this is the point where we have a couple things to talk about before we go. This is where we talk about TV, movies, anything non-game related. Um, I do have a couple things here that I'll talk about uh, quickly. Watching Wednesday, the Adams Family remake from Tim Burton on Netflix. Uh, I think we're one episode away from the end. I think there's eight total and I think we're on seven. We talked about it last week, Carlos and I, and I think Carlos likes it more than I do. I think it's okay. Um... I think I just haven't really connected with it that much. Um, it doesn't bother me that they have taken it from a sitcom into what is essentially a, I don't know, a teen detective story. 
where Wednesday is trying to solve this murder and this monster. I mean, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that, but, uh, I, you know, she's not with her family, so she doesn't have the support of Lurch and Gomez and Morticia and Pugsley and, uh, all the other, you know, cousin it and stuff. Uncle Fester, Uncle Fester does show up for like one episode, which is cool. Played by Fred Armisen. He does a pretty good job. Um, but I think the thing that I don't like about this particular series is I just have not really connected with Wednesday as a character. Um, I have memories of the old TV series, the original TV series, and gosh, I haven't seen the movies uh, in quite a while. I should probably go back and rewatch them, but it seems to be that they are basing this character off the movies. And she's really like nihilistic and dark and, you know, torture and death and all that stuff, which is fine. But the things about the series I don't like are, are twofold. Number one, I feel like they are really, really shoehorning in a romantic element, and I just don't feel like it fits. Wednesday is supposed to be 16 or 17, and she has given literally no inclination to two. There's like, I think, two main guys that have been chasing after her in the series, and they just have a boner for her just on their own. Like, she has given them, as far as I'm concerned, no green light. She has expressed no interest. Um, she has not given them any kind of mixed signals at all. And I even asked my wife, too. I'm like, so for me as a guy watching this, I'd, I think these guys are barking up the wrong tree. She is not giving me any kind of suggestion that she wants the interest of these guys. If I was if I was one of these characters, I'd be like, this is a no go. I'm not getting a, a green light here. And my wife concurs. She's like, yeah, absolutely not. There's there's no reason for these guys to both um, feel the way they do. And basically what's happening is like they're both like, hey, Wednesday, like, I really like you. And she's like, whatever, I'm not interested and then they get their fucking feelings hurt. It's like this total like man, baby, immature way of like looking at male, female relationships. And I'm like, dude, like she's she's not telling you to go ahead. She is not interested in any way. And they just both are like, but I feel for you and you need to respect my feelings. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. She can say no. And she can she can be a single person. She's young. She doesn't need to be in a relationship right now. Like she's not even remotely interested and the, the series just keeps hammering it like once you get past the first couple episodes it's just like inevitably she's going to have a discussion with one of these two guys and they're going to have their fucking feelings hurt because she is not interested in them and it's not it's not her fault she's just like existing in the world and both these guys need to just chill the fuck out take a cold shower and realize she's not interested and the series keeps pushing it it feels really ham-handed and it feels really inappropriate and um i don't think this is a spoiler to say but like in the seventh episode that we just watched, she ends up kissing one of these guys and it felt so random and out of place and not appropriate and not believable. I'm like, there's no way she would kiss this guy. I, sh I What? Like it just, it feels like we must have romance in this because that is what we do for TV. And I just, I'm not with it, man. I'm just not with it at all. So that part I feel like is really inappropriate. And I feel like Tim Burton is really, um, he's, he's misstepping here. This is a mistake. This should not be happening. The other part that I don't like about this uh, is about Wednesday's character herself, uh, totally apart from the romantic thing, which I don't think works at all and which I think she's innocent of. Uh, I do not like how she is like a liar and she's so manipulative. Uh, it's not it's it's one thing to be like, I'm doing my own thing. And if you want to come with me, do or don't, but I'm not responsible for you because I'm I'm a solo operator. That's kind of how she is, right? She's like, uh, I'm doing my own thing. I'm on, I have my own agenda. I tell people that and people don't listen. So that's on you if you don't listen, which I think is fair. But there's been multiple times in the series where 
she knows people want to be her friend or she knows people want to get with her romantically and she will like lie to them to play on those desires to get what she wants which i feel like is not a great character quality it is um it feels just really cold and manipulative and not nice in a way that i think a protagonist should be and i don't think that they're really showing wednesday as as an anti-hero i don't think so i mean she's she's quirky and she's weird uh, but I don't think she's an anti-hero and I don't think that she is a bad person in any way. So to have her be so manipulative and to straight up lie to people and to just play off of their desires in order to get what she wants, um, I think is just a really bad move. I think it's not a great, it's not a great way to write a character. It's not a great way to endear her to other people. So I have a problem with that. And I just think in general, the series has just, it's taken some re really weird turns, which I have not appreciated. So it's not a bad series. Um, but I definitely don't think it's great. And I, I definitely would change some things if I was in the editor's room or the writer's room. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, it's missing for me. So it's not something that I'm going to like run out and celebrate. It's not something that I would really recommend to a bunch of people, um, I guess. I mean, if you're really desperate for some Adam's Family stuff, this is your choice. Um, but yeah, it's I've got some problems with it. Uh, the next thing, also watching on Netflix, the Midnight Club, I think this is based on a series of books. I want to say it's Christopher Pike is the author, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Basically, the premise is there is a bunch of kids, eight or 10 kids. They all have uh, terminal illnesses. I'm pretty sure it's set in the 90s story-wise. So like one, one guy has uh, AIDS. One person has a brain tumor. One person has some kind of a bone cancer um the main character has some other different kind of brain tumor so they're all these kids who have um terminal illnesses and they all go to this big spooky house out in the woods as kind of like their i don't know hospice house or something where i guess their families can't take care of them or can't provide them with the medical care they need so there's like a nurse on staff they have like you know light duty medical facilities they give them morphine for the pain and they kind of like have group therapy and stuff so like the kids go there to just basically die um in peace or you know as peaceful as possible so that's uh, that's a thing but while they're there the kids form this club called the midnight club where they meet with no grown-ups and they tell stories to each other and they make a pact that whoever dies first is going to try their best to come back from the other side to tell the remaining kids who are still alive what to expect, what is on the other side, what is the advice from beyond. I think it's a really interesting premise. Um, and while they're there, they there is an overarching story about the house and there are spooky ghosts. There's a couple jump scares. There's stuff going on apart, apart from the kids. So there is a, a mystery to unravel, Scooby-Doo style. But I think it's like the third time I brought up Scooby-Doo on the show. Uh, the Scooby cast, I think. But... The, the thing that I think is really great about this is, number one, just seeing the kids kind of deal with their illnesses. Um, I have worked a lot with people who have terminal illnesses in my non-games-related job, and so a lot of that kind of rings true for me. Uh, but beyond that, when they get together every night to do the Midnight Club, they tell stories, and each story that they tell turns out to be like a little, uh, like a little side story in the episode. So, for example, they go downstairs... They, they toast each other, they tell a story, and then it, it totally cuts away to where you're watching the story that the person is telling. And they reuse the cast, which I think is a really cool idea, where the person telling the story in real life will be the main character of the story. 
uh, and then everybody that they know in the in the hospice will be a different character in each one. So it's like a series of skits or vignettes that happens within the larger frame story of the kids being in the convalescent home, which I think is great. I think it would be fun just that. I don't even really need like the larger ghost story. Um, but I think it's just it's really interesting. Each new story has been really good and interesting and different. And I, I'm just really into it. I think it's it's really cool. Uh, I can't say that I've seen a lot like it. Uh, I believe it's already been canceled, though. So I'm hoping that they at least end the series at a good place. Maybe not wrap the whole thing up, but at least stop where it's not a cliffhanger. Um, I'm kind of like shaking my fist in the sky at Netflix right now where they've just been canceling stuff left and right. And they just don't give things a chance to build an audience, which we've talked about on the show multiple times, which is really too bad. I think they've come up with a lot of really cool content, a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. And it sucks that it's like if they don't get uh, 19 million retweets like the day it releases, they just cancel it. And it's like you've got to build an audience. You've got to give something a chance to breathe. And at the very least, you've got to fucking finish your goddamn stories. I mean, it's it's really doing your audience dirty to launch something. For example, uh, the recent cartoon Dead End by Hamish Steele, which I think is wonderful. That was planned as a trilogy. And they canceled it after the second part. So fuck you, Netflix. I really like that show a lot. And we're never going to get to the end of that. Um, same thing with uh, another cartoon recently. I forget what it's called. But it was based on the Illuminati and like Area 51. Uh, it was done by some of the same people who did Gravity Falls. And they planned that for at least minimum a two-part season or a two-part series. And they cut it off after the first one. So, I mean, like, at least finish what you start. Like, if you know there's an end point, like, get to the end point, Okay. Um, and just, just stop canceling things before it gets an audience. But anyway, there's only going to be one season of the midnight club. I'm liking it so far. I hope it ends really well. And I, I do recommend it to people. If anything I've said, it sounded interesting there. Last thing I'm going to say is about Megan M three G a N, uh, recent horror movie, horror ish horror comedy, maybe from Blumhouse. Uh, I really like Blumhouse a lot. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff. They're becoming a major, major player in horror right now or pop horror anyway which i dig they've got some really dark stuff some of it which goes too hard for me but a lot of it is just really approachable really funny really interesting takes on the horror genre uh my whole family is a real we're all real blumhouse fans at the moment uh and if anybody listening from blumhouse would like to sponsor our podcast you can definitely hit me up and we'll work something out but megan just came out to rave reviews um it's available for streaming right now and i think it's just really great it's kind of like one of those, you know what you're in for when you see the trailer, but it delivers and it doesn't disappoint. Basically, the premise, which I'm sure everybody knows, is a little girl, uh, her parents die in a car accident. So she's left alone, got a lot of emotional trauma. She goes to live with her aunt and her aunt is a toy designer, high tech toy designer. And she's in the middle of working on this android, the Megan android. And in order to advance the android, she gives it to the little girl and wants it to learn from her. And so they become bonded and real buddies. And the android is like looking out for her. And then, you know, it, it's like, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but like, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Android's going to go haywire. Shit's going to go down. People are going to get killed. That's exactly what happens. So it's not a surprise, but it is, it's no less enjoyable when it happens. Like the stuff that they go through, I think is, is really funny in a lot of ways. It's, there was a lot of laughs in this and intentional laughs, not like cheesy laughs, but good laughs. And I think they're just really aware of like the times and the tone and the vibe of movies today where they're just really smart about it and everything feels kind of wink nudge, but in a good way. Uh, Megan herself is a really compelling character. I think the actresses who play her are great. I think there's one normal sized lady and then there's one child who play the Megan Android and they both do a great job. Um, 
it's just it's just really really enjoyable really fun really liked it a lot and there is a uh, sequel coming which is great because i'm i'm down uh my family are big fans of the chucky series and this is definitely taking a cue from chucky uh the child's play series uh, but in its own way doing its own thing and i'm i think there's room for both of these no problem so i also want to give special shout out to the 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 actress who played the little girl who lost her parents she did a great job the writers were so smart with this because I think there was probably a lot of ch- a lot of times when they could have played it sappy sweet where they could have made the do- this this girl way more likable. But in this movie, she's been through a huge trauma. She's lost both parents. She's with an aunt that she barely knows. She hasn't had a lot of training. The aunt is really kind of distant. Um, not a lot of counseling going on. And she's just kind of left to her own devices with this with this android. And she's not processing very well. The girl is just like she's constantly thinking about her parents and she's sad and but the doll makes her happy but then the sadness comes back and she is feeling really lost and the aunt doesn't know what to do with her and the little girl starts acting out in ways that are really really real um i have worked with a lot of kids uh in psychotherapy situations in the real world and her actions are totally on point like the way that she she shouts and the way that she hits and the way that she's outbursting it, it felt so real to me they don't dwell on it a lot but like the scenes where the little girl is having a breakdown are so real and so accurate i just i was like man good job because that is what it would be like and the fact that they are doing that and not making the girl super likable or super sweet or you know like sometimes the audience i feel like is is kind of put off by the little girl which i think is appropriate because she's going through like this life-altering circumstance the aunt is put off People are put off by her, and I think anybody in real life would be put off by her if you didn't know what she was going through. And it just kind of really captures how difficult it is to really break through some of that grief and trauma that people go through. It's not easy. So huge, huge ups for the little girl who plays um, the, the the girl who lost her parents in that movie. She did a wonderful, wonderful job. Wonderful job for the director and the, the actors, everybody involved, the writers too. So definitely um, a thumbs up. It wasn't nearly as gory or as dark as I was expecting it to be. In fact, I believe he got a PG-13. Uh, there's supposed to be an unrated cut coming soon or maybe like an R-rated cut. I'm definitely going to watch that for sure. Uh, I heard that one's a lot bloodier and they have a few scenes that got cut out that were too much for the PG-13. So I thought PG-13 version, totally great. Kind of funny. Liked it a lot. Uh, but I'm definitely up for a bloodier version as well. So I'll check that out. But overall, uh, Megan's great. I think it's wonderful. Uh, really fun. And I am super, super down for a sequel. I'm ready now. I got money in my hand. Anybody at Blumhouse, you want to come take my money? Show me that movie. Let's do it. All right, folks, that is a show. I got through it okay. Uh, Carlos was sorely missed. Hopefully, uh, not hopefully, but he will be back for the next episode. Looking forward to that once our realized schedules get back in sync a little bit. And apologies again for the kind of uh, non-standard content this week. Uh, I think it's better to do a show than to have no show. And we didn't want to leave you guys hanging. So hopefully uh, you think I did an okay job. Please let me know how you can do that is send me uh, an email, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter, at sovideogames. Uh, we're also on Instagram, at sovideogamespodcast. You can also hit us up uh, individually if you want to hit me a, uh, directly outside of the the framework of the podcast. You can hit me up on Twitter and on Instagram. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. Carlos is not present. Uh, but you can hit him up at Carlos Rodella at TikTok. He wants uh, all the views. He's making some funny videos over there. Check him out over there. And I think that's going to do it for episode 321. Yes, it is episode 321. Uh, yes, I did it. 
Hooray, we're here. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you again for joining us here. Carlos will be back next week. I'll be back next week. We'll back to our regular, regular format. Um, so yeah, that's it. I'm going to bounce and I'm going to feed my chickens. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.